Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Well, welcome everybody. We are in, I don't even know what part this is. I have a friend in Texas who said, you are still in that perpetual act series you're doing. Um, so we've been studying the book of Acts, and it's about the church, the early church, and we've been looking at uh, each piece of this and looking at what we can learn from this great church. And uh, today we are going to talk about one of my favorite people in the book of Acts, and uh, he is a guy by the name of Stephen, and we're going to learn about Stephen today, uh, and uh, it's a great, great story. Uh, let me read a little bit to you. And uh, let me get you started. I'm going to read a little bit of the end of chapter 6, a little bit of chapter 7, and then a little bit of chapter 8. So there we go. We begin Acts 6, verses 8 through 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, uh, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You, in verse seven, chapter 7, verse 15, uh, running through the first part of chapter 8, eight uh, verse 3. You stiff-necked people, Stephen preached, with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, Stephen is a great guy, really incredible guy. When I think about Stephen, I think he's probably a young, very young uh, man. Uh, We don't know his age, but many of the early followers of Jesus in this Jesus movement in the book of Acts were very young. Uh, I think about uh, one of the modern uh, 
missionary martyrs uh, was a guy by the name of Jim Elliott who was, uh, uh, that died, I think it was in uh, 1956, January 8th. Here's a picture of Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott was this young, handsome young guy that went down to Ecuador. Um, I think we have a picture of him. Maybe we don't. Uh, there it is, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott uh, is the famous guy who said, uh, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He and about four of his college friends were missionaries in this jungle of uh, uh, Ecuador to the Aqua Indians, and then uh, they circled the, the area for, for weeks and let down food. And when they let down food, um, you know, they finally landed, and uh, after several days of good connections, they were finally were massacred by the Aqua Indians. And this, this became famous. It was on uh, the national news and all that. It was a big deal. So when I think about Jim Elliott, I think probably that, that Stephen was like Jim Elliott, that he was young, he was zealous for the Lord, and there's two things about Stephen that are famous. Two things about Stephen that are famous. Uh, what is he known for? This is the first thing. The first thing, he was the first Christian martyr ever. First Christian martyr in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Now, if you read church history, which I love to do, you read church history, you read about the story of the church and the people that follow Jesus throughout history. This is a theme throughout church history. A theme throughout church history where, where men and women were literally uh, spilled their blood because of their faith in Jesus. And we have to remember this in this wonderful world that you and I live in. I have such a wonderful life and you have such a wonderful life. But the truth is, this is everywhere, uh, every time, somewhere on this globe, every time, every year, somewhere on this globe, there's people that are being physically persecuted for their faith. So I have to keep that in mind. Persecution is a part of the story of the church. And so, uh, so Stephen was the first uh, Christian martyr. That's the first thing about Stephen. The second thing about Stephen is he preached the longest sermon in the book of Acts. He preached the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Chapter 7 uh, in, uh, in the book of Acts is as Peter's sermon, or not Peter's sermon, Stephen's sermon. And it's the longest sermon in the whole book. And it's probably the longest sermon in the whole New Testament. So when you think about Stephen, first Christian martyr, and he preached the longest sermon. I was thinking about, you know, who in the modern era has preached a long sermon. And I looked up, you know, the Guinness uh, Book of World Records, and there is such a thing. The longest sermon was preached uh, by Mount, uh, in Mount Dora, Florida, by Zach Zender. Uh, and uh, here's a picture of him. This guy is the guy on record to preach the longest sermon ever. And uh, he preached for 53 hours and 18 minutes. 53 hours and 18 minutes. And it's my commitment this morning to break that record. That is my commitment this morning. How many are with me? Yeah, right. We'll go an hour. You be gone. I know that. I have no illusions about that at all. But, but Stephen preached the longest sermon. And maybe... Maybe you're the guy that, you know, Old Testament's too much for you. You know, you can't read that Old Testament. They're just, you get into, you know, you start out in Genesis and you do pretty good till you get the life of Abraham. And then you get an Exodus and the tabernacle and the measurements and all that stuff. And by Leviticus, you're done. I mean, you're not doing it. And maybe you've never read the Old Testament. And some of you have and some of you haven't. But here's the deal. Uh, did you ever use cliff notes in college? Cliff notes in college? You know, I did. Uh, you know, when I was going through college, 
you know, they signed, you know, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne's Moby Dick. I mean, you know, really, that's the American novel. And uh, we should have all read Moby Dick. Uh, but I've started Moby Dick about 15 times. And it's just so big. It's so big. And I had that assigned to me. And so I got the Cliff Notes. So it summarized the whole book. And uh, how many have ever used Cliff Notes? You, Cliff Notes. Thank God for Cliff Notes. You know? Cliff Notes. Wow. Well, chapter 7 of Acts is the Cliff Notes of the Old Testament. It tells the whole story of the Old Testament in one chapter. And when I'm having my devotions and I'm reading and I'm getting through the book of Acts and as I get to chapter 7, there's always a warm feeling in my heart because I love the story of the Old Testament and Stephen basically preaches the whole Old Testament. He just gives the, the, the big themes of the Old Testament. He goes through the major characters. He goes through Abraham, Moses, Joseph, and all the major people in the Old Testament. And his big message in Chapter 7 is, is the, your forefathers, the people he's speaking to, your forefathers persecuted the prophets that prophesied about Jesus, and you killed Jesus. That's the message. Your forefathers prophesied about Jesus coming, and they were persecuted by your forefathers, and they, the prophets were prophesying about Jesus, and your forefathers uh, persecuted the prophets that prophesied about Jesus, and then you killed Jesus. And then they get angry, and they stone Stephen. Now, what can we learn about Stephen? There's a couple things about his life. First of all, first thing we learn about Stephen is, is servanthood is the pathway to advancement. Servanthood is the pathway to advancement. Now, we've already met Stephen. Stephen is, uh, earlier in chapter 6, he was chosen as one of the servants to help administrate the food for the widows. Remember, uh, the, the Hebrew widows and the Grecian widows were fighting because they weren't, it felt like the Grecian widows felt like they weren't being treated fair. And so the early church got together and they created these seven servants that had to be full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and have favor with people. And they chose these seven people that are the precursors for deacons. And they chose them and they were to administrate and take care of the widows. Now, what that means exactly, we don't know. We don't know if that meant that Stephen was somebody that did the Meals on Wheels thing and he actually delivered the food and he's taking food to widows, or was he washing dishes in, you know, in the room where they were making all these dishes and uh, taking care of these widows, or was he administering the money, the finances, but whatever it was, he was practically serving before we see him later on. And what we see about Stephen later on is we see what we read today is he was doing signs and wonders and he was preaching. So he went from waiting on tables, washing dishes, administering in practical needs, helping people to doing signs and wonders. The pathway to advancement and the pathway to greatness is always servanthood. That's always the case. We serve in small ways, and then God opens big doors for us. Karen and I are watching this new series on TV called New Amsterdam. It's about this hospital in New York City and all the bureaucracy and all the systems and all about making money. And this new guy takes over, and he fires a bunch of people, and he says that we're going to make this hospital about helping people. And the theme of the show is, how can I help? And Stephen was somebody that wanted to help people. Helping people, serving people is the pathway to greatness. I think about our own church. We have 
a group of young couples that got together not too long ago and came up with an idea about how we can help people here at Bayshore. This wasn't dreamed up in our staff. This wasn't dreamed up in a boardroom. This was dreamed up about people out there who love Jesus as a part of our church. And they came up with this thing. They heard about this program called Recess. And Recess is a program where once a month we get together and we have people that have disabled children in our community. And they can bring their disabled children to us from 6 to 9 o'clock. And we take care of them in in the splash uh, building over there while their mom and dad can go out and go to Applebee's and see a movie and have a break. And so we started this a month ago. And we had disabled children that came and their siblings. And we said, Mom and Dad, these people have been trained. We got this covered. You go out and have a good time. And here's a picture of, of uh, some of, the, of, of that happening the first night. And it was just so wonderful to see some of the siblings there and then some of the disabled children. We see all this together, so some of these pictures. And so our church has, has leaned into that. Helping people is what the church is all about. Can you say a big Amen. Helping people, helping people, loving people. And Stephen, Stephen did that. Stephen, can you see this guy, this young Jim Elliot, handsome young leader of the church, washing dishes, taking food to old ladies, loving people, caring for people, and then God poured his grace out on Stephen, and Stephen began to do signs and wonders. And wonders means basically things that make you marvel. There was miracles happening through Stephen. But before Stephen did miracles, Stephen washed dishes. We always do small before big. We're faithful in small, and then God gives us bigger. God never says, I'm going to give you something real big and see how you do. God gives you something real small and wants you to be faithful over it, and you're faithful over it, and as you're faithful over it, God expands and advances you. Servanthood always leads to advancement. My wife, she loves to listen to Joel Osteen. She loves Joel Osteen. She said, Danny, you are my second favorite preacher. (laughs) She doesn't say that. She may be thinking it, but she doesn't say it. And I said, I love Joel Osteen. You know, sometimes Joel is a little controversial. Uh, I tell people Joel Osteen is a specialist. He's an encourager. People need encouragement. And I'll tell you what, Joel Osteen is one of the greatest communicators in America, an incredible communicator. His messages are clear, well illustrated, and a lot of preachers could take some lessons from Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen is just really incredible. But you know what Joel Osteen did before he became a TV preacher. You know about his story. His dad, John Osteen, pastored the church that Joel pastors now. And I used, in Bible college and in my young adult years, I loved John Osteen. I loved Joel's dad. And he was this little fiery kind of Pentecostal guy. And I'm telling you, he was always dressed sharp in a suit. And man, that guy could preach. I mean, he was such a good preacher. I just, I would turn him on Sunday night and listen to him. And then he passed away. And then I heard Joel speak for the first time. And I thought, this is never going to work. Boy, was I wrong. What a prophet I am, you know? <laughs> Joel Osteen's taken that. Joel Osteen has the biggest church in America. There's no question about it. He has the biggest church in America. And people say, who's the new Billy Graham? Joel Osteen's the new Billy Graham of America. He has incredible influence. 
very humble. I heard him personally in Philadelphia, and he wept on the stage as he ministered to people. And uh, very, very incredible young man. What did he do before? He became Joel Osteen on TV. Well, he ran the cameras for his dad. He was behind the camera. And he edited the film. And here's a picture of Joel Osteen in the editing room. He looks a little different there. He's there, and his hair's going to go a little more up and uh, all of that. And uh, he's, uh, he's there editing. He was faithful behind the camera before he got in front of the camera. We must be faithful behind the camera before we get in front of the camera. For me, I remember when I was like graduating from Bible College in 1981, I was all fired up and wanted to preach the Word, and I couldn't wait. I mean, I just was so fired up, and uh, I didn't have an open door initially after Bible College, and so I was made a deacon in the church. I was a deacon. I was a deacon in the church. I attended Liberty Church in Pensacola, Florida, and I was a deacon. And they laid hands on me and said, you are a deacon. Go and deek. And uh, I said, what does a deacon do? I want a deek, but I don't know what a deacon does. I want to be a deek, but I don't know what a deacon does. They said, here's what a deek does. What a deacon does. Here's what you deek at. What you do is you, before the service, you set up all the tapes of our wonderful pastor and the associate pastors in the church, and you set them all up on a table. And the, the senior pastor, his tapes were in red, and the associate pastor had one was in blue, another associate pastor was in green. And uh, this was before podcasts when you used to have to buy a message if you liked it. Uh, those were the days. Anyhow, that doesn't happen anymore. So anyhow, we set all that up, and that was my job. And I stood there setting up the tapes for people to buy of the guys on the stage. And I remember thinking, you know, I... I, I I finished Bible college. I got a degree in theology. I mean, I want to preach. And God said, listen, you got to take care of the table. Take care of the table. Take care of the table before you get advancement because servanthood always leads to advancement. Servanthood always leads to advancement. You got to serve before you can advance. You say, boy, I wish my company was bigger. I wish I had a bigger company. I wish I had more clients. I wish I had more customers. If I just had a bigger company and more customers, I would be happy. You take the customers and the clients you have and you serve them and you love them and you care for them. And as you serve and care for them, service will lead you to advancement. Say it with me. Service leads to advancement. That's the first thing. Second point, Stephen kept his eyes on Jesus when the world turned against him. He preached, and as he's preaching through chapter 7, I listen to it, I read it, and my heart's warmed when I read about Stephen preaching about Abraham, preaching about Joseph, preaching about Moses. He's preaching, and then he comes to Jesus. 
and he, and he confronts the people that are listening to him that their hearts are cold and their hearts are hard. And I was listening, I was reading that yesterday and I was thinking about that. And what inspired me was, was the, what the Holy Spirit said to me is, Danny, your job is to preach my word, to preach my word. And you aren't supposed to worry about what people want. You're supposed to give people what they need. We need more preachers in America that are more concerned about pleasing God than pleasing people. And I want to be one of those guys. I'm surely not the only guy, but I want to be one of those guys. And so it says in the last days, and this is my little side note, and this is not a big part of the sermon, but this is a little thing that Lord's speaking to me about and to my fellow pastors who may be listening to this podcast. Listen, our job, there's a, there's a dearth in America of preaching God's Word. We need to preach God's Word. We need to preach it in love. We need to say things that nobody wants to hear. We need to say it in love. We need to say it with tears in our eyes. But we need to be faithful to proclaim God's Word because we're swaying away from what God's Word teaches, and God's Word is the final authority, and let God be true and every man a liar. So, that was my takeaway. I was like, wow, I want to be like Stephen. I need to be bold. I need to be bold and courageous. So, they, he comes to his punchline, you crucified Jesus. That's a big punchline in the book of Acts. And they gnash their teeth and they're angry. They're angry. Angry at this young man that looked like, let's put the Jim Elliott's picture up here. They're angry at this young man, this young, young preacher. They're angry at him. And they're gnashing their teeth and they hate him. They want to kill him. They are going to kill him. They hate him. And they're angry at him, and they're rejecting him, and they're screaming at him. But he sees Jesus standing up at the right hand of the throne of God. He looks beyond, he looks beyond the hatred, he looks beyond the rejection, and he sees Jesus loving him and accepting him. And when this world rejects you, and when this world turns against you, you've got to learn to look through the smoke, and you've got to learn to see Jesus, who loves you. I don't know if you watch Braveheart. I know you're all Christians. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Braveheart. Anybody ever see the movie Braveheart, Braveheart with uh, Mel Gibson? What a, what a great movie. Come on. Is that a great movie or what? Freedom! I love that movie. Mel Gibson playing William Wallace. Execution scene. Do you remember the execution scene at the end of the movie? Do you remember that? They got Mel Gibson's as playing William Wallace, his head on the block, and people are screaming at him, and they're torturing him, and they're trying to kill him, and the crowd is against William Wallace, who's led this great rebellion of the Scottish against. Uh, King uh, Edward Longshanks of uh, the English, and they're yelling at him. And as he's about to be executed, who does he see? He sees his wife, his deceased wife, who loved him dearly. Walking in the crowd. I watched it this week. I just turned that scene on. And he's been, people are yelling at him. They hate him. And he sees his wife walk through the crowd. 
and her eyes are looking at him full of peace. And she's smiling. And William Wallace is full of serenity and peace as he looks at his wife as he's being executed. And you can see her smile. Now, this is not in the text. I can't prove it's in the text. I can't prove that this is what happened. But I believe that when Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father, He was standing up to welcome Stephen, standing up to welcome him, to honor him, welcome him into heaven. And you stand up to honor somebody. And the the Son of God himself is standing up to honor Stephen's integrity. I can't prove this, but I think Jesus was smiling. I think he was smiling at Stephen. And Stephen didn't see the hatred of the crowd. He didn't see the the viciousness of of the Sanhedrin What he saw was the loving eyes of his Savior, Jesus, smiling at him and loving him. So you've been divorced and your spouse said all these horrible things about you. And you play that over and over in your mind. And you think you you let that person define who you are. And you let their rejection paralyze you. This text teaches you that you need to look beyond the rejection in your present world to the one who loves you and cares about you. Because Jesus loves you regardless of how many people hate you. Can you say a big amen? Now, if I was a politician and I was in politics, I would have to really, really know this. I would never go in politics. That's just, you know, you know what Mike Huckabee says, you know, In order to go into politics, you have to love the sight of your own blood. You know, and I'm not that guy. (laughs) But we need, I hardly ever say anything about this, but we need politicians that, that aren't fixated on everybody, that they're confident to do what's right and keep their eyes on Jesus. And the first service, I don't uh, have these little kids in the first service, sweetest little kids. They're on, sitting on the second row here every week. And uh, they come up, and I, I, don't, I sent Colleen a picture. I don't know if you got that picture on the screen. These kids, these kids, they sit here in the second row, the first service every week. They, they're the sweetest kids. They come up and hug me every week after the service. And uh, a couple weeks ago, they came up on the stage. You know, that's the first time they came up on the stage. They came up and hugged me, and uh, I don't, they just love me. I don't know why. I'm irresistible to them. They just love me. <laughs> Today they came up and they gave me these little things, just a little card. They took the, the guest card. They're not guests, but they took the guest card. And now, Jesus loves you. Wrote it twice, Jesus loves you. So the, the little girl hands me hers, says, Jesus loves you on this side. And then she's got arrows on the other side. Uh, Amazing, super, terrific, outstanding, just wonderful. So, and then they handed me an offering. A dollar. They could put a dollar in an envelope. Here it is, right here. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's absolutely wonderful. But you know what? Everybody, doesn't matter how old you are, you need to know that Jesus loves you regardless of what happens in your world. Say this with me. Jesus loves me regardless of who rejects me. 
Maybe mom and dad haven't measured up. Maybe they haven't loved you like you think they should have and all that. The book of Psalms says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he saw Jesus. By the way, before we end this message, by the way, this is the only time ever in the New Testament where Jesus is standing up by the throne. He's always seated. This is very special. He loved Stephen so much, and he looked at Stephen with compassion and and just gave him confidence that he stood up to honor his son. What a wonderful picture. Well, what happened here was, um, after the persecution, Stephen was, uh, was, was stoned. And um, as he was stoned uh, for his faith, there's a shift that happens in the book of Acts. When Stephen is stoned, there's a shift that happens in the book of Acts. And here's the shift. It talks about it in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that from that point on, the church was scattered everywhere. The church was scattered everywhere. And what we need to remember is in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, it says when Jesus commissioned the church, he said, uh, wait to, in Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then preach the word in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other, uttermost parts of the earth. To this point in the book of Acts, they've stayed in Jerusalem. And this persecution has the net effect of spreading them out. So basically, even though this is a, a sad story about Stephen being the first martyr, what happened was, was, the, was that things changed from here on out, and the church, instead of being concentrated in Jerusalem, is now spread out everywhere. And so the, the principle there is, is just imagine, imagine a, I don't know if anybody reseeded your lawn, but if you had to reseed your lawn this year, uh, you know, think of a, a bag of grass seed all in a bag, and it's in a bag, and the grass seed is concentrated and located in a bag, and it's not supposed to be to stay in the bag. It's supposed to be spread out, and the persecution rips the bag open, and the seed goes everywhere, and when it says the church was scattered, the word scattered comes from a word that means to sow seed, to plant seed. So that's what happens. So, the principle under this is, is sometimes we are in a place that we're so comfortable, we are so cozy where we are, it's impossible for us to hear God about changing and moving to a place where we're supposed to be. And so what happens is, is we stay somewhere and we're comfortable there, and we're cozy there, but God wants to move us somewhere else to do something for Him, and so we're all conditioned and comfortable and cozy that we don't move anywhere, and God sometimes makes our, uh, our comfortable place uncomfortable so that we're willing to move where He wants us to move. So you may be in a job that you're in, that you love and you're comfortable in, But God has something else for you to do, and so maybe He creates chaos where you are, so you're forced to go somewhere where He wants you. 
So I said this in the first service. Two people come up, came up to me. One was a, a young lady that comes to our church, wonderful, wonderful young lady, sharp young lady. She came up to me, and she said, I've been in my job for five years. He said, I got fired last week for something silly. And she said, you know what? I didn't like it there, but I was comfortable there. And she had a smile on her face, and she said, you know, I know that God has something new for me. So sometimes, listen to this, sometimes, sometimes we are so cozy, so comfortable, it's almost impossible for us to hear God, and God has to pull the pin out of the hand grenade and throw it over the wall. And when he does that, all of a sudden, we're moving to a place where he wants us to be. You know, sometimes God moves you by a tap on the shoulder, and sometimes he moves you by a bulldozer. <laughs> Say this when me, God is sovereign of where I'm supposed to be. This is a big principle. The book of Acts, when, when Stephen got killed, everything changed. It went from a centralized thing to a global thing. Very important. So if you are, you know, they say, I don't know a lot about eagles, not the band, uh, not the football team, but eagles, you know, flying eagles. But I've always heard this, and I need to do more research. Uh, But I've always heard that, you know, a mother eagle will pull the down out of her body and make the nest soft. And when she has the eagles, the eagles grow up and they get really big and they don't want to leave the nest. And so she takes the down out of the nest to make it uncomfortable. And then she takes her beak and she breaks the sticks. So the sticks stick into the eagles so the eagles get out of the nest. And so sometimes maybe you're at a place right now or maybe you've been in a place where God has changed everything to get you somewhere where he wants you to be. Say this with me, God, move me where you want me to be any way you want to move me. So the last thing I'm going to say today is about the last part of this text, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 2. Let's put it on the screen. Acts chapter 8, verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. I read that and I, I really, that verse really speaks to me. Don't these godly men know that Stephen's in heaven? Don't they know that he's with Jesus? Don't they know he has eternal life? Why are they mourning? They should be having a party. But it says, godly men buried Stephen. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever buried anybody? Have you buried somebody? Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. I was doing a funeral one time, and this young Christian came up with, doesn't have the sense that God gave geese. He came up, and he said, hey, all these people crying. Why are they crying? That person's in heaven. We need to be celebrating. 
And I could just, he just hadn't lived long enough. Hadn't lived long enough. Because it's appropriate to mourn. It's appropriate to mourn when somebody you love is gone. It's appropriate to mourn. It's inappropriate not to mourn. God has given us a range of emotions that we're supposed to experience. It says in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a time to laugh and there's a time to weep. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. God gives us permission to mourn. When our parents die, we lose a spouse. Heaven forbid we lose a child. We lose a friend. We were, we were supposed to memorize verses of Scripture when I was a kid in Sunday school, and they, we all had to come in with a verse to memorize next week, and I chose John eleven thirty seven, which is Jesus wept. It's a verse. It may be the shortest verse in the Bible. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. But Jesus had... By that gives us permission to stand in front of a grave and weep because he was standing in the front of his friend Lazarus who I think they watched football together on Sunday afternoon and they talked together and they hung out together and I think Lazarus was his friend and he wept. How many, how many know how many keys there are on a piano? Uh, how many know how many keys are on a piano? Raise your hand if you know. And... Uh, you know, how many keys are on a piano? Say it out loud. 88. 88 keys. Here's a picture of a... Uh, you are right. You are right. 88 keys. How many white keys are there? And everybody's quiet. 52. 52 white keys, and that means there's how many black keys? 36. So human motions are like this. They're like a keyboard. A piano has all of these notes because all these notes are supposed to be played. There's low notes, then there's the middle C, where you start learning to play the piano, you learn where middle C is, and then you've got the treble, the higher notes, and all of these notes are designed to be played. And in the human emotions, every part of our emotions... God gave us the capacity to be sad. He gave us the capacity to mourn. But we don't mourn, it says, like those who have no hope. But it's appropriate to mourn. And when we mourn and as we grieve, our Heavenly Father who understands, He's a faithful high priest that's experienced everything that we've experienced. He puts his arms around us and comforts us. Say, say with me, uh, Acts chapter 8, 2. Well, let's read this last, and this is the end of our teaching this morning. Acts 8, 2. Say, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Permission to grieve. Permission to grieve. You'll need this. You'll need this. I'm going to need this. We're going to need the Lord to help us. But He will. He will. 
What a great guy. I'm looking forward to meeting Stephen. By the way, does anybody here name Steve? Do we have any Steves in the audience? Are you Steve? Anybody Steve here? We had one Steve in the first service. No Steves here? Any Stevens? Okay. Wow. What is, here's what Steve, Stephen means. Remember, Stephen was, was martyred, the first Christian martyr, and he was, you know, stoned for his faith. And Stephen means victor's crown. Victor's crown. I was talking to my, I'm going to close here, uh, my granddaughter Willow the other day, where she's a reader, she loves to read, she's reading these big books, and man, we're sitting there reading together, I'm just like in hog heaven, I'm a reader, I love to read, and she's sitting there, and she reads a little while, and then we'll talk a little bit, and the other day we're reading, and she said, uh, said, Papa, I read something the other day, she said, she said, I read that Every story has a happy ending, and if it's not happy yet, it's because you're not at the end. Well, I sat there, put my book down. Wow. Never a child spake like this. I said, Willow, where did you read that? She told me about it. And I just, I looked that up, and I found out John Lennon said something like that. Uh... But every story has a happy ending. And if you're not happy, it's because you're not at the end yet. Isn't that good? Say it with me. Every story has a happy ending. And if you're not happy, it's because you're not at the end yet. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving today, speaking to us, for anointing us. We thank you for the plan you have for our life. Thank you for your word. Your word is, doesn't return void. Thank you, God, that you're making us strong through your word and you're helping us to grow in our faith. And we pray for us, all of us as we begin a new week. We go into a new week with you being with us and you being Lord of our life and no weapon formed against us will prosper because we belong to you. And we thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen.